Just before we start, a couple of other updates on Hope Church, if you'd pray for us. We've had another nine added this week. We've got 27 adults plus kids. We're praying for 40. Please pray with us. You might be one of them. <laughs> but come and join us, or you can just come and have a look, see what you think. Okay. Um, right, we're at part 10 of our series in Solomon. Oh, thank you, Andy. Um, we're at uh, part 10 of our series on Solomon. Comfort the oppressed, love the lonely. Very topical after this week. Um, Solomon talks in the opening verses of Ecclesiastes 4 about oppression and the abuse of power. Verse 1. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. That's a world without God. And that's, he also alluded to it a little bit in chapter 3. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors and they have no comforter. Much suffering, as we look around us so obviously now, is inflicted by the powerful on those who have no power or little power and little voice. That power might be political, physical, psychological, even spiritual. But where does all the oppression and cruelty originate from? Why are people so abusive? Well, it originates ultimately from the natural human heart. Now, sometimes you hear, don't you, that someone's accused of murder and people say, he's not capable of that, or that's just not in her, or she'd never do that. Or, I know him, he, he just wouldn't. The truth is, he doesn't even know himself what he's capable of. We think we do, but none of us do. God tells us in his word that sin, in all its forms, lurks within every human being that's ever lived on this earth, bar one, the Lord Jesus, God in human form. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who really knows how bad it is, says the NLT? And the answer to that is only God gives an accurate picture of our own hearts. But I, the Lord, it continues, searches all hearts and examines secret motives. Jesus bears witness to this, Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony and slander. Paul backs it up in, in uh, Galatians 5.19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, that's excessive indulgence in sex and alcohol and everything else, idolatry and witchcraft, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions that splits division cause splits or divisions caused by refusal to agree to disagree, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All of that just lying dormant. But why does Paul say that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious? Because they're paraded in society. You only need to watch the news to see that people do wicked things. And when evil people have power, a nation suffers. 
And those who suffer most, as we've been praying about, are the vulnerable, the women, the children, the poor, the powerless. And this is what Solomon sees in a world under the sun. In other words, that leaves the true God out of their business. All we need to do now, and it's very topical, is to look at Afghanistan to see the acts of what lies within. Paraded blatantly in public. People running for their lives. Families hiding behind their front door, not knowing when the Taliban will knock on, torture, abuse, kill, destroy. It's currently happening. There's the smiling face of the Taliban for the press, but people on the ground tell us very different. Those poor people, if they venture out, there's an imminent threat. If they stay in, there's an imminent threat. Where do they go? What do they do? And worst, the West have supreme power and military might and in the end, they pull out remaining troops almost overnight, leaving thousands to this fate, including those who serve side by side with the Allies against the Taliban. Of course, they're in there rescuing some now, that's great, but some will run out of time. People will die, needlessly. That is oppression, that is wickedness. We see the cruelty of the Taliban and the indifference of the powerful West. Maybe they had to pull out, but surely they could have done it slowly, getting as many people out as possible. Those scenes of mothers handing their babies over to the military, over barbed wire, because they would rather the military had their baby than the Taliban. It's sickening. It's oppression. It's an abuse of power. People hanging on to military planes, taking off, terror written all over their faces. And Solomon says there is no comfort for such people. You see, the word of God has a lot to say about society. I make no apologies for it. But we know this, that the Lord sees, the Lord knows, Justice is coming. And in this world without God, under the sun, Solomon sees what God sees all the more. I saw the tears of the oppressed, they have no comforter. Power is on the side of the oppressors, they have no comforter. And he does hear cries for justice that has not yet been delivered. We even see this with the departed, persecuted souls in heaven who still cry out for justice because judgment hasn't ultimately come yet, full judgment. Revelation 6, 9. The souls at the Revelation is a glimpse into heaven and what goes on there. The souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true? You're holy and you're true. Why aren't you doing anything? How long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? But justice is coming. You read on. It's prophecy of the future. Six, Revelation 6, verse 12. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black. 
the whole moon turned blood red and the skies in the stars in the sky fell to the earth wow what a spectacle that will be the sky receded up like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place then the kings of the earth the princes the generals the rich the mighty every slave every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? See, the judge, the judge, sees and he knows and when he comes, God help those who oppress and torment. And God help those who crush the vulnerable. Yet at that time, there will be no help, more help from God. And those oppressors will be tormented just like those who they tormented forever and ever. Now that's a comfort for those who are in that situation. Make no mistake. And you know how those in Christ will respond in the perfected world. We will too rejoice. Revelation 19.11 Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. Everyone cries out for justice. It has to be done. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Without God, as Solomon says, there is no lasting or meaningful comfort in this world. There are, is no answer to the atrocities on this earth. There is no ultimate justice in the minds of those without God. There are those in this world, you hear it many times, and they suffer and they think their oppressors will get away with it. Things like Hitler took the easy way out. We know better than that. He's already paying for his crimes. He didn't take the easy way. He thought, like the world, he was taking the easy way out. God will have the last word. Is that a good thing? The judgments of God are true and just. So, believer, let me ask you, will you rejoice when you see the true, irrevocable justice from the hand of the Almighty and the ultimate comfort for those who had no comfort. Those who are being killed by the thousands, maybe tens of thousands, helpless to defend themselves, then being defended. Will you rejoice? Yes, you will. You will rejoice. It is right and true to rage for justice. God himself does it. Today is a day of grace. We pray for the oppressors. Why would we? But we do. That they will come to Christ because some have and some will and we pray for the oppressed. Let's pray right now for the Taliban and let's pray for all those who are oppressed. Do you hate the Taliban? You probably do. God has a plan for some of them. He, oh, he alone can turn them around. Lord, we pray for the Taliban. We pray, Lord, that you would come down and turn their wicked hearts to you, just like you did with us. But, Lord, these are a desperate evil force for good, force for bad. And we pray, Lord, you'd turn them around. You did it with Paul 
who, who was Saul, the terrorist. You can do it with each one of them. Sweep across the Middle East, completely save them or stop them. And we pray you do it very, very soon. And we pray for those who are crushed and oppressed because of them. Lord, give them liberty. Give them yourself. Give them comfort even now. Comfort that you know about it and something's going to be done about it. Do not stand by and leave them to these wicked men, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. But ultimate justice for those who don't on that day will receive no more grace. There will be full justice for every single evil thing committed and not paid for. Deuteronomy 32:35 God says it is mine to avenge I will repay in due time their foot will slip their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. The Lord says, kingdoms rise up and he deposes them. Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, God is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And one of the massive questions of today is, possibly for Christians and especially for non-Christians, or if there is a God, why doesn't he stop it all now? Why the wait? 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Even the Taliban, <laughs> they don't deserve it. Do you? Do you deserve it? Do I? Paul says in Romans 3.22, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. For the wages of sin is death, all guilty. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the reality. All humanity have one of two choices. Come to Christ and accept his once for all eternal payment for your sins or refuse Christ and pay for your own sins for all eternity. Those are the only two options. And if you choose the latter, Revelation tells us that we'll be side by side with the unrepentant oppressors and powerful people, with some of the Taliban, Hitler, Pol Pot, Gaddafi, Marx, Idi Amin, Nero, Herod, Herod, Pharaoh, you name it, they'll be there. But so will all who do not come to Christ. Because you have to pay for your own sins. How much better to come to Christ and have him pay them for you? When we see such atrocities being played out in a world without God, 
God allows you to see the ugly evil that lurks inside each one of us. It's so easy to point the finger and justice cries out that we should, so that's fine. But recognize my state and yours too. See, the majority of people for the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit on the world don't go anywhere near this ugly evil even though it lurks inside each one of us. But all of the toxic ingredients, as we've seen, are there. And it really is a case of, but for the grace of God, go I. Put yourself in, in, in this position. Imagine that you're born. I'm not defending the Taliban. I can't stand what they're doing. But imagine if you were born in a Taliban family, and you were taught their ways from tiny, and you believed their beliefs. You would now be thinking like them, doing what they do, and fighting for Allah. It is an incredible blessing that you're born where you're born, and into the families often that you're born into. You see, someone said this, I heard it uh, this week, theocracy is much stronger than democracy. Now, theocracy is believing in God's rule over your life. And it's much stronger than democracy. Why? Because in other words, if you genuinely believe you're serving God by killing those who don't, there isn't anything else that will convince you otherwise. No other political ideology will ever convince you otherwise. You can never be sure that de-radicalization works. You will die, if you think you're serving God, you will die rather than surrender those beliefs. Now, theology gets a bad name. You know what it is? It's just what we know about God. <laughs> and it's important to know about God. It is essential, isn't it then, that we know the one true and living God and what we know about him is true and right. There are loads of false gods out there, but there's lots of false knowledge about the true God. That's even more dangerous. And look at Saul before he became Paul. He's no different from the Taliban. He was a terrorist and he was convinced he was serving God by killing followers of Jesus. How did it stop? There was only ever going to be one way. Christ himself appeared to him, knocked him from his horse, blinded him and then transformed him from the inside out and gave him new sight and a new heart. That is the only way to stop a wrong theology. Or a wrong theocracy. You see, it always takes divine heart surgery to save your soul and mine. Theology is the knowledge of God, and knowing the true God is essential because what you believe about God or what you believe about anything will be walked out in your life. It's never just up here. It influences what you believe, will always influence what you think and how you act. And so we come back to Jeremiah's analysis. The heart is deceitful above ill things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Who can cure it? Well, not you and not me and not counsellors and not psychologists. Only Christ can cure the condition of the natural human heart. Only Christ. And you know what? Even he can't cure it. That'll wake people up, won't it? 
Instead, he had to crucify it in his own body, on the tree, and create a new nature, a new heart within those who believe, because the old sinful nature is irredeemable. Its only sentence is death and destruction and crucifixion. It cannot be reformed. It needs new heart surgery by the divine surgeon. Ephesians 4.22 You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what's now pulsating in through our spiritual veins. We are now recreated, newly created, with a heart transplant that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you have to keep crucifying the old nature just like Christ did and you have to live out of the new. Live out the old, you'll get nowhere because it's got no future. You can live out the new with the power of the Spirit of God within you. What's he? He is your comforter and the comforter for all the oppressed. He is the counsellor and the counsellor for all the oppressed. And then the next thing is this. There's no true comfort in a world without God, just like Solomon says. So get God out there in the world. We've connected with friends, some are on board with us at Hope. And they help the abused, the trafficked, the oppressed, the broken, asylum-seeking women and kids, just like our Afghani friends. I'm sure their were, hands will be very, very full now. They also, another organisation of which we have links to and one's coming to us, reach outs to prostitutes in Stoke. And you know what they say? They say this. Practical kindness and help and comfort causes many to ask, why? Why would you bother with me? Nobody else does. You know what? Then they tell them. They have no hope. They bring them the hope of Christ. They have no comfort. They bring the comfort of Christ. Comfort of Christ to the oppressed, to the outcasts, to the rejects to the people that Jesus would go to and only his people genuinely would go to. And, you know, I've worked with loads of people like that and they're just amazed that I'd even listen to them or give them the time of day because nobody in their whole life, when they were brought up, ever did. And I never did till Christ saved me. I couldn't care less. Only the divine heart surgery brings the comfort of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's how it works. Some have no future, you tell them of a glorious future. Some have no permanent home, 
You tell them of the new heavens of the earth, the home of righteousness. And, and quote this to them, uh, Revelation 21.4, God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, can't wait, can we, has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, tying in with what Mary said, I am making everything new. What a hope we have, friends. Why can't we bring that hope to all the hopeless? Because we see the hopelessness of a world without God. Verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 4. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. You know, you often hear that, don't you, in these days? Folks say, He's at peace now. Or if such and such were alive, they'd be turning in the grave. They just wouldn't believe what they see. They're, they're better off now than if they were alive today. The dead are better off. And some say, when I look at this world, and uh, Christians too, but, but especially non-Christians, they say, I, I don't want to bring my, any kids into this world because what's it going to be like for them and Solomon says verse 3 but better than both is he who has not yet been who has not yet seen the evil that is done under the sun in a world without God but for us as Christians without genuine everlasting hope sorry <laughs> to this world which doesn't have genuine everlasting hope, we need future generations to come to Christ and bring the hope of Christ to many others. The door of grace is still wide open and we need to find those that God is drawing and lead them to Jesus and there's not much time left. And you and I must take seriously the ministry of teaching and showing Christ to children and to teenagers and not just Rely on our Sunday school teachers. Do it at home too, if you can at home. Do it wherever. All of us ought to play a part in showing and teaching Christ to the kids among us, primary to teens. Talk to them, love them, accept them, take an interest in them, not just your kids, other people's kids, and get your kids to befriend other kids. Because we have to build followers of Christ for the future. Because once I've died out and the generation underneath me, it's not looking great. And we have to build followers of Christ for the future because he's the only answer. He's the only everlasting hope. And he's the only real and true comfort to a cruel and suffering world. And my conviction is we've just started. It's going to get so, so, so much worse before the Lord comes. Let me ask you this, are you a spectator at church? Just come along for the ride, you come to church to receive, well that's good, but how about coming to give and receive? And not just at church, in your life. What part can you play here at Park or at Hope? What can you do in your life to bring his light to this dark world wherever you are found? It's not time to sit on our backsides anymore. It really isn't. 
The reason I'm doing this thing is hope is because I've got eight years left and I'm not going to waste my time. Not that I've wasted my time at Park, but there are things that need to be done. Remember the servant who buried what God had given him in the ground and did nout with it, in the ground and did nout with it. Use what God has given you. Help in the war effort. This is what this is. Christ and his kingdom is your priority as a Christian. Once we become Christians, we sit back. Some of us, well, don't. <laughs> his kingdom is the priority lived out in your life and mine, wherever you may be found. You're the only hope, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. So live it out. And when you botch up, admit it to them. And then point to Christ. I'm not perfect, but he is. How many times have I botched up and had to say that? And probably will again. In fact, just botching up points all the more to the glory of Christ. Not that we should deliberately do it. But it's part of the witness to admit you're wrong. Because they think we're, per we're claiming to be perfect. There's only one who's perfect. Anyway, final point. We also see in here, we're accelerating down the passage a bit, we see another issue, oppression and the abuse of power and the comfort of God uh, and the no comfort. Also, the loneliness in a world without God. The loneliness. Verse 7, again I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone, he had neither son or brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and miserable business. Being alone and being lonely are two different things. You may be alone, but you may not feel lonely. I used to love my own company, now I don't. You might love your own company, that doesn't mean you're lonely then, does it? But you are alone. But loneliness is a sense of isolation and detachment and alienation perhaps and not belonging and not feeling loved and being invisible and feeling like a reject. You can be lonely in a crowd. And loneliness, as we know from the news, has accelerated due to lockdown and some people don't talk to a human for days. And even the world recognises it and they're setting up things for those very people. And some folks in our church are lonely and Solomon says it's meaningless for this lonely man. And you know some feel who can no longer move about and no longer come here and have to watch online and some don't even have online, some feel they're just waiting around to die. This man had no kids or siblings. His parents had probably gone too, there's no mention of a wife. He works hard, but he says to himself, for what? Because we're social beings and we're created to have others in our lives. And this man seems to be working all the hours and not enjoying it, and, no one, and not even enjoying his wealth, because he's got no one to share it with and he's got no one to leave it to. So there's no direction or purpose for him at all. So he asks, what's the point? 
and Solomon says it's a miserable business for him. And it is, isn't there? And there are people like that. Maybe you're one of them right now. And you can't even enjoy what you've got. But Solomon is describing a world without God. Let's put God in the picture as we close. What should be the answer to loneliness? Of course, there are lots of social practical things, but God's people should be the answer to loneliness. In a world without God, there's loneliness. In a world with God, shouldn't there be not loneliness? <laughs> Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? In those days, just as an explanation of uh, verse 11, whole households would sleep in the same bed. The cushions laid on the floor, kids in the middle, and an adult each end. Uh, we, and we see this for sure in Jesus' response in his parable where there's the neighbour who wants loaves of bread, run out of bread, uh, and uh, he knocks on some, his neighbour's door, and we read Luke 11:7. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked, and my, locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Sounds very cosy, doesn't it? And there's nothing dodgy about it. Friends would also in those days keep each other warm. Nothing dodgy about it. It's just the way it was. In fact, it wasn't that long ago before the comedy scenes of Lauren Hardy would be in the same bed when it was cold on a winter's night. Nobody thought anything of it. Morecambe and Wise were the same. There's nothing dodgy entering their minds. But the point is here that many are lonely and they're not accepted or included by the world and they've got no one to keep them warm in, the, in that sense. The Talmud, uh, which is Jewish saying, says, a man without companions is like the left hand without the right. I told a non-Christian friend the other day, um, oh, I, I just went out for a coffee the other day. I said, yeah, do I know him? Was it a friend? No, he just showed up at church, so I invited him. We went out for coffee. I'd never go out with someone I didn't know, says my friend. Isn't that where we come in? Of course it is. Many people out there are looking for acceptance, belonging, true identity, the perfect parent, a role model. And we have found the perfect parent and a role model. It's all found in the Father. It's all found in Christ. It's all found in the kingdom of God, or it certainly should be. And the more we include and love one another, the more others are drawn to us and Christ. That's how it works. That's Hope Church and that's Park Church. May I just make a few suggestions as we run this down? If you're lonely, there are others that are also lonely in this church. Why not hook up and get to know each other? And I know people have, and I know they've reaped the benefits of that. Some families don't have other families to relate to. Why not get to know some new families? Some come from other countries. Why not ask them questions about their country, find out all about them, and, and why not reach out to them? 
And sometimes when a few of us do that, we think that's okay, the job's being done, so I'll leave it to them. Or we see one person doing it, and so we don't bother, but actually that one person is crumbling under the weight of it. Everyone has to have that attitude to reach out. If someone's sitting alone at church, go and include them, bring them over to your group, meet up for coffee. Surely that has to be Hope Church. Surely that must be Park Church. We've tried our best at Park, haven't we? And some have slipped through the net, others haven't. But we've really tried our best, but it needs to be a corporate effort. And then lastly from our passage, pray and protect one another. Verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. How many times, and I've preached it at weddings, it's not really about that. The third strand is another person. It's, an, a, it's a building argument. Two, three, four, five. Of course you can bring God in. It's not a problem. And, and, you know, but that's not really ultimately what it's about. You see, the more people watching your back, the more people defending you and you defending them, the more protection. You and I, and we do do this, don't we? Cultivate prayer cover in groups. We must be accountable, we must be alert, we must pick one another up, we must be willing to be picked up. That's why Christ invented local church. Is local church a man-made thing? No, men have ruined it, but it's not a man-made thing. It's in the New Testament. And local church exists for the benefit of its members and for the benefit of its non-members, the world. We can't be insular. We can't be parochial. We always have to have open doors and so that people can feed in. No matter who they are. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the people that come to church come because they've tried society and everybody else, not a lot of them, but some of them, everybody else rejects them, like John was saying, and pays no attention to them. So at last, as a last resort, they've come and think, well, maybe church will be different, are we? We have to be. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's what this is all about. Love one another, anybody, deeply from the heart. It's a huge magnet to the unloved, the lonely and the oppressed. Hallelujah. Let's come to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you for your word in both services. It was great. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word that comments upon what's happening in this world and applies to it so much. You have much in your word to speak about a godless society. Loads of things. And uh, this is just an example of one of those. Lord, we just pray that we would be biblically minded, that we would not be influenced by anything else. And when we see Solomon's despair in looking at a world without God and the, the awful things that go on, 
we look sometimes with despair and we're broken and we see what's happening currently, especially in Afghanistan and what will come to our shores increasingly. And there are people among us who are already like that. And Lord, help us because if it's not us, who's it going to be? And it's not just comfort in this life, it's comfort and security for the next. Lord, we, we just pray you would make us comforters. You would make us like your Holy Spirit, that we would be not just thinking of me and mine anymore or me and my family anymore, me and my kids. We would have open doors. We would leave the back door open as it is and we would accept and love all that come to be among us. We thank you that your kingdom is the answer. There is no political solution. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.